Episode 30, The Devil Made Me Do It. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ooh, very spooky Ooh. kickoff to that. Yes, well, uh, hello, Nightmarikans. I am your co-host, Aaron Sagers, from Travel Channel's Paranormal Caught on Camera and ParanormalPopCulture.com, and joined by my co-host... Brett. Brett. Yeah, that was almost... We almost did Almost it. aligned. You know, other podcasts almost. start by doing, like, a clap on... So they can, like, sync up the sound, and we should just... Use, I'll just use it saying my name at the same time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the syncing is always good, but but, you know, I think that's... Giving us more credit as a professional shop when maybe we're not. We are we're definitely not, you know, not. We're we're very relaxed. We're almost professional. <laughs> that that was something that a guy I used to film with would always say anytime we were doing something like for Sci Fi Network or whatever. He was on the road a lot with this guy. He'd be like, "Almost professional, guys. Almost professional," which I kind of like. <laughs> I like it too. <gasps> Anyhow, how are you doing on this? beginning well we've already been doing a couple halloween episodes but we're right on the cusp of october how is your pre-october when this drops it'll be september 30th are you busting have you carved a jack-o'-lantern yet i have not carved a jack-o'-lantern but i did just facetime uh with my niece who can't for some reason say auntie so she calls me haunty and let me tell nice. you, I never want that to change. I want her to be like 40 years old and referring to me as haunty. Um, but she was in like a full skeleton PJ, like the black with like the bones. And then she did on like the Apple FaceTime, she did the skull as like the face. So I'm I'm in the zone. Sid and I just had a great Halloween moment. That is pretty great. Haunty. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I don't know what the... I don't know what the the uh, corresponding for uncle is other than creepy uncle, which yeah, is a whole different, it's a different thing, different connotation. I don't really want to go there. It could be uncle Fester. I yeah, guess uncle Fester from the Adams good. family. I would be, you cousin, know, uncle Fester. I do. I know Adam's family very well. I love Adam's family. I would be cousin wow. it. Of course. Really? Well, yeah, I'm so hairy. Are you kidding? Well, I didn't want to bring it up. I am quite hairy as well. You but are. Yes, that does look you rather know, Cousin It. I look like Cousin It. Should I take a screenshot for our, our listeners? Done. You can for people that <laughs> this is a this is a visual medium. So people that don't want to make the leap to social media. Brit just took a picture of her hair covering yeah. her face. But yeah, I'm re- I have not carved any jack-o'-lanterns, but I'm definitely in the Halloween-y spirit. And I'm already drinking out of a cup with googly eyes and a frankenstein that is awesome on him i love that so and i would say my hair is probably 
on in the shape of a fright wig right now. But we got a big episode. Yep. I'm excited about this one. The devil made it made me do it. This is a big one. This is big. So and I think we're all guaranteed to have a hell of a good time. <laughs> See, because uh, we're going to talk about devil stuff. Yeah. But before we get into the topic, let's get some news of the weird from around the world. Brett, what do you got? Well, this actually works, and I didn't mean it to, but talking about my toddler niece, uh, there's a woman on Instagram, Abigail K. Abigail K. Brady, who has been posting pictures of her two-year-old son, Theo, with his new best friend. Have you seen this? I don't believe his so. His no. new best friend is a plastic, like, life-size Halloween skeleton. <laughs> they were cleaning out the basement when her two-year-old son found this, like, full Halloween decoration, and now he, like, clings to it and takes it everywhere with him. She, I'll share it on the social media but it's a picture of this sweet little two-year-old boy like sitting in one of the push grocery carts with this like giant skeleton next to him or pushing the giant life-size skeleton down the slide it's so super cute it like very much gets you in the mood for halloween no bones about it skeletons (laughs) make good best friends were you a were you a scaredy cat kid no i loved halloween even as a kid Never afraid of monsters? Did you sleep with the lights off or did you? Um, I wasn't afraid of monsters. I was afraid of the bad man, as we've covered on right. this podcast before. Right. Monsters weren't the problem, but men were, is what I was taught growing up. <laughs> hey, I grew up in the, as a Gen Xer, I grew up very much in the era of latchkey kids, even though I wasn't too much of a latchkey yeah. kid. But well, I yeah, you had like a hundred siblings. Well, yeah, but I'm my next oldest sibling is four years older, so there was a point where there was fewer kids in the house. But there was also it was the height of stranger danger. Yeah, a lot of a lot of stories of kidnappings and and creepy men and vans. I don't know if they're uncles, creepy uncles or not. I don't know, but there. But anyhow, I was. I would say that I was a bit of a scaredy cat early on, which is funny considering the work I do now. Yeah. But, and I had, I'm, I'm going to relate sort of similar to the little kid with the, with the skeleton. I had a, a moment of realization as a child that when I was walking down the long hallway from my bedroom, which I shared with my brother, Adam, and it was late at night and I had to pee so bad I had to pee so 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 bad and it got to the point where it's like I'm not going to be able to last the night without peeing I'm going to have to get up and walk down the long spooky oh. hallway and the long spooky hallway also you walk by a sort of the entrance to a big large great room and kitchen and everything and diner so we felt very exposed as you're walking by and I would go in to go pee and think that there was a monster behind the shower curtain as I'm standing at the toilet and being quite nervous about this. And I think specifically, I did think it was, ironically, because I am drinking out of a Frankenstein cup, I thought it was Frankenstein's monster. And because the monster is not named Frankenstein, Correct. but we'll let that slide. But, and I remember having this moment of saying, look, Frankenstein's monster, if you're there, I don't care. Just do your thing, whatever. Just leave me alone. I gotta pee really bad. And that kind of 
helped me get over those kinds of fears. And, and weirdly now, it is something that I tell people when they have some sort of potential haunting, establish whether they think it's good, bad, negative, whatever. But the first thing you can do is just try to establish boundaries and be like, if you're here, whatever, just mm-hmm. play by the rules and we'll be good. Anyhow, so that's a little bit from my childhood, from the vault. Deep thoughts with Aaron Sagers. And, uh, but I, let me get into my news story. So this is topical considering what we're going to be talking about. But the headline out of the Oregonian in Portland, Oregon is once a church, the devilish little things museum now houses a wicked collection. Mm. And this Marion Held is the owner, curator, and occupant of the Devilish Little Things Museum. And it's a antique collection in a former church in Vancouver, even though this was reported in the Oregonian. She's from Germany originally. She grew up with fairy tales. And she created this collection of objects from the 19th and 20th centuries featuring little devils carved in tobacco pipes, clocks, mm. nutcrackers, tonic bottles. And it's not like devil, capital D, or Satan. It's more like playful little devils inspired by the fairy tales and folk tales from Europe. So imps, Mephisto, Krampus, satyrs. Krampus is scary. I love Krampus. Yeah. I love him. I like the idea that there's always some sort of darker spirit to counteract the, the nicer side of things. You can't have light without a little bit of dark true that anyhow so you can go check out her her museum including she's got a book room filled with illustrated books and a burgundy boudoir where she has devilish erotica oh and have you been wait no but wait for it there's also the devil's lounge which is a bar and it has a demonic statue once that once graced an amusement park ride. However, the Devil's Lounge has absinthe-inspired glassware mm. with tiki bar kits. Oh, my God. You have to go. So, I do. I do have to go. I just learned about it. So I do. Once once I'm traveling more, I will I will check it out. Yeah. So, so, yeah. And what I find really interesting is that her two peak times are Halloween and Christmas. So I'm I'm digging it. Yeah. So anyhow, the Devilish Little Things Museum. And you can read more about it at the Oregonian. So let's let's get into our topic. When you were a kid, so we're gonna talk about the devil and sort of court cases and crimes associated with that. Now, growing up as a a Catholic mm-hmm. boy, the devil was a real thing. It was very. It was not just a representation of evil. It was the devil was a he was a person, someone that very much existed, and his minions, his demons, provided a legitimate threat. And the idea of the devil has evolved a lot throughout the centuries. The church has co-opted the Catholic Church co-opted certain imagery from pagan religions and pagan gods like Pan and Bacchus to create the devil image that we know with the cloven hooves, the horns, Mm -hmm. all that. 
But the devil was considered a real deal when I was a kid in my household. How about you? You know, not really, which is so interesting because I also went to Catholic school, but my immediate parents are not Catholic. So maybe that's why it, it didn't have as much of a, you know, your immediate parents as opposed to, as opposed to your lesser immediate, like, yeah, like the other, <laughs> do you have backup parents that, well, I mean, I guess in a way I have a backup mother. My sister is seven years older than me and probably considers herself hmm. my mother as well. But, uh, yeah, well, no, it wasn't a big deal in my house. Well, there was also, we could do an episode on the satanic panic, which yeah, we, we Well, we did. But, my Well, not the full episode, but my 4th of July episode had a satanic panic element to it. Yeah. We could go into that. Yeah. We could do Ouija history, Ouija board history. But the, let's put a pin on that. Maybe we should talk about these things offline, like <laughs> when we're actually planning episodes, instead of making everybody, exposing everybody yeah. to the... Almost professional, guys. Anyhow, yeah, the devil was a real deal. And and I think part of it was because some of these cases that emerged in the early 80s that kind of lended, uh, lent, lended? Lent the kind of cultural, it became part of the zeitgeist, I guess. Anyhow, should we hear about your story? Should we dive in? Let's dive in. I am doing the story of Jason Dalton, the devil's Uber driver. Well, have you heard of this story? I have, but I'm already taking a slight umbrage with this because the devil would not <laughs> use a rideshare app. The <laughs> devil would have a really nice car maybe, service. What, maybe he does, and not even car service, like a nice set of wheels. I or picture something. him on a motorcycle, like a cool yeah. Indian. I, I view you need to watch the show Good Omens. Oh yeah, I know you it's love the, it. It's not the devil, but it has a demon in it, played by um, David Tennant, mm-hmm. who was also popular from Doctor Who. But yeah, I think he. So in that, I think he drives a Rolls Royce or something. That but makes sense. I think I think the devil. He's not going to do a Corvette because that's too midlife crisisy. <laughs> I don't think he's riding around in a limo i think he would have like a nice kind of cool sedan or something or some sort of cool car maybe not a cool sedan i don't know motorcycle too sometimes i think when he wants to get out there yeah feel the feel the wind going through his flaming hair (laughs) anyhow tell me about the devil's uber driver well within four hours and 42 minutes on february 20th 2016 six people were murdered and two were injured by Uber driver Jason Dalton in Kalamazoo, Michigan, because Jason claims the Uber driver app was acting as a vehicle for the devil and took over his mind, requiring him to act out for Satan. Uh, Interestingly, Jason was an ordinary man up until that day. He was a husband, a father to two kids. He was a full-time insurance adjuster and drove for Uber on the side. Um, One thing that did stuck his neighbors as odd, though, was that he would shoot for hours in the backyard of his home in Cooper Township, which is just a little bit north of Kalamazoo, Michigan. And, like, shooting guns in that area isn't the most unusual thing, but for them it was, like, the length of time that he would be out there. And he didn't have an automatic rifle, but they said it would, he would click it so fast it would almost sound like it was an automatic. Wow. Yes. 
So just a little red flag. On the morning of February 20th, Jason and his buddy went gun shopping, and Jason ended up buying a new jacket that had a special pocket to conceal a handgun. At 4 p.m., he turned his Uber app on, saying that he was ready to drive and was routed to pick up a passenger. Uh, But after picking this guy up, Jason got a call, and when he hung up on this call, he started driving incredibly erratically. He drove up a median, he drove into another lane, um, just kind of driving crazy. The passenger was understandably freaked, and when they got to a stop sign, the guy jumped out and called 911, reporting the car and the license plate to the police. Just a few hours, or just about an hour later, at 542, he drove to Richmond Township Apartments to pick up his next passenger. However, he had the address incorrect, and when he pulled up to the incorrect address, it was one of those things where, like, you know when you pull up Uber and it gives you, like, the recommended location for pickup, but where you actually are is, like, a little bit further? That's right. That's what the situation was. So when he pulled up where the woman actually was not, um, there was a different woman outside uh, named Tiana Carruthers. Um, he asked her if she was the passenger, and when she said no, he whipped the car around and started shooting at her. Um, Tiana's a mother of two kids and was like, yo, I am staying alive. So she actually fell to the ground and played dead, and this saved her life. He thought he got her, stopped shooting, and drove off. Go, Tiana. Go, Tiana. Um there's an article from the Detroit Free Press that was really good that laid out all the victims in this case, and they said she's actually a motivational speaker now. Um, so it gives me goosebumps. Go, Tiana. So from here, Jason drives over to his wife and asks her to switch cars with him because he's putting together that people probably heard the bullets and reported him, and then also that first guy that reported his car. So he swaps cars with his wife gave her one of his handguns and told her it wasn't safe to be out right now and her and the kids should stay home. She asked what's going on and Jason says it's going to be on the news. Hmm. It's ominous. ominous. Very foreboding. Yep. I mean, not even, not maybe, no, probably won't wrong use of the word. That's, that's confessing. Yeah. <laughs> premeditated. Yeah. Premeditated. Yes. So at 7.37, he turns his app back on and begins driving passengers, all of whom, when they were interviewed, said nothing was that unusual about him. Then at 10.01, Jason pulls up to a Kia dealership. No one has called, like, for an Uber. He just pulls up here, um, where Richard and Tyler Smith were shopping for cars with Tyler's girlfriend, Alexis. Uh, Jason parks, get out of his, gets out of his car and walks over to where this group is standing, asks them what they're looking for. And without even giving them a second to respond, he just starts firing his gun at them. Um, Alexis was able to get behind a car from where she was standing and she lives to be a witness. However, Richard, who's 53 and Tyler, who's 17, were both murdered on scene. At this point, Jason runs back to his car drives five miles down the road to a Cracker Barrel where he starts, which is so sad. You know what I mean? People are going to Cracker Barrel to have a good time. Don't ruin it. Um, right. He, Drink their root beer. Yes. Play those games on the Go table. Go shopping. Or... Cracker Barrel is an American institution. Um, yeah. They we're also pretty homophobic for a while based on the, some of their policies. But... Well, I mean, 
True. Maybe they're better now. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, everyone in America still loves Chick-fil-A, even though they're intensely homophobic. So. Hey, by the way, but Chick-fil-A, you guys should advertise with us. <laughs> so should you, Cracker Barrel. Prove us wrong. I don't know. i got to be honest. I don't know if I would want Chick-fil-A's money. Um, but he drives down to Checker Ch- Barrel, <laughs> Cracker Barrel, <laughs> where he starts randomly shooting into cars in the parking lot. Mary Lou Nye, who's 62, and her sister-in-law, Mary Jo Nye. How sweet. They were both Mary Nye. Uh, Mary Jo Nye was 60. They were both sitting in their car when they were both murdered by bullets flying into the parking lot. They'd gone to their restaurant with their friend Judy Brown, who was 74. She was sitting in the car directly next to them with 68-year-old Barbara Hawthorne and her granddaughter, 14-year-old Abigail Kopf. The insane thing about this story, they're all shot. All these women die except for Abigail. Shockingly, she was shot in the brain. Her skull was shattered. She survived. She had like a metal plate put in her brain. But after two years of therapy, she was able to go back to school. So incredible. The police had been on the lookout for him after the first 911 call before Tiana was shot. And then, of course, once Tiana was shot and people called after that. Um, But he switched cars, throwing them off. However, the Kia dealership had incredible high-tech cameras. And they were able to get a really good picture of him from these cameras. And they sent it out on the news. They put it out on their Facebook page. And they had a really good description on the radio. So everyone kind of knew right away what was happening and were on the lookout. However, he was still picking people up on Uber. Wow. He was still driving. At 12.12, he picked up four people who were going to their hotel. And having heard what was going on in the news, one passenger <laughs> told police he laughed and asked Jason jokingly if he was the shooter. And Jason was like, no. And apparently wasn't very friendly to them <laughs> for the rest yeah. of the ride. Insane. He then picked up another three people. And when he was dropping them off, police saw these people getting out of the car, saw the Uber sticker on the back window of the car, connected the dots to what was happening, called for backup, and they were able to pull him over and arrest him at 1240. Um, He confessed to the shootings, and he blamed the Uber app for what went on because it summoned the devil within him. So his explanation for this is so weird to me. He claims that the logo for Uber looks like the logo for the Order of the Eastern Star. Okay, first of all, it doesn't at all. And also, the Order of the Eastern Star is a Freemasons group that allows women. It has religious undertones but does not have anything to do with devil worship. And they actually raised half a million dollars for Alzheimer's research in the last few years. So like putting it on this organization that like, that is why it looked like the Uber logo looked like their logo. And that made him act like the devil is insane to me. Right. And I have thoughts, but I, I, well, when you can attend okay. your story. Well, he went through a psych examination before, like, the trial started. And they said he was fit to stand trial, that he was not, you know, psychically impaired. 
Um, but when Tiana was testifying, he started shouting like things you couldn't tell, like not real words and was screaming and was taken away. The rest of the trial, he was in another room and like was Skyped in. His lawyer for years was fighting for a legal insanity defense, um, but the trial was pushed back for like three years for, you know, other things. Um, and then finally in 2019, he actually pled guilty and was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Uh, interestingly, he is in the same prison where Jack Kevorkian was kept. Okay. But... That's his story. Most of my information I got from the Detroit Free Press. They had really good coverage on the Kalamazoo Uber shootings. Um, I mean, my main thought is uh, he is claiming to blame it on the devil. I don't think that that is really accurate. I think it was all premeditated, the fact that he gave his wife a gun. And I forgot to mention when he was pulled over by police, he was not only wearing the jacket he bought where you could conceal a weapon, he also was wearing a bulletproof vest. So, like, Mm -hmm. maybe Uber drivers go out with bulletproof vests on. It could be smart, but it just, to me, felt very premeditated. The, yeah, it does. The interesting thing is, is that the notion of the devil or evil communicating you communicating with you through electronic devices or an app, I guess in this case, which is part of a phone, but is an interesting one because on one hand, I don't rule it out. On the other hand, I mean, as far as heard a lot of weird claims throughout my years about people that have said that they've been attacked by evil entities certainly sounds premeditated Mm -hmm. as you said yeah but my additional thoughts on that is sort of a on a personal note the order of the eastern star yeah they're not an evil organization to my knowledge they are masonic but interestingly i so the order of the eastern star has these kind of subgroups mm-hmm. and for kids and stuff that are connected to that are children of master masons and mm-hmm. things like that and one of those groups is the rainbow girls and that was i think my first sort of official girlfriend <gasps> she was a rainbow girl oh my god what does and, that mean for her uh, well, I don't really oh. know, but it means that she, well, the, the organization, the rainbow girls were, they were sort of supposed to learn about charity and then demonstrate leadership. Mm-hmm. I suppose probably similar to some of the notions of Girl Scouts and some other yeah. youth organizations like that. And seemed like, you know, it seems like they do good work. I mean, at the time when I was a kid, like, you know, 15 years old or whatever, I thought I had no clue what it was about and it sounded really weird. <laughs> And borderline culty to me, but but she was a pretty good person, and the you know so aside from the fact that when I was asking her to homecoming, I had to ask her father oh, for permission to ask her to homecoming. I think, cute. and that struck me as a little bit weird because even at the time, I'm like, I don't think I'm asking her to marry me. Yeah. I'm just asking. I just want to. We just want to go get some food and go to homecoming. Yeah. I think. Did he say yes? Did he let you? 
Well, yeah. I mean, I'm a charmer, Brit. <laughs> like, of course he said yes. And also, I was probably like 15 or six, 15 years old, 16 years old. I mean, how bad could I have been? Yeah. I mean, uh, some people are really bad, I guess, at that age. But yeah. It was, yeah. So, anyhow, so... Order of the Eastern Star. Hey, you guys are cool. Yeah. Rainbow Girls. They yeah. raise so much money for like diabetes research and Alzheimer's. And their logo looks nothing like the Uber logo. Besides the fact that they're both circles. Like very weird. Right. Yeah. And Brit, I believe it's pronounced diabetes. <laughs> Anyhow. Nightmerica is excited to announce we have a new sponsor. Manscaped. And to talk about the men's grooming kits, we have a really big fan of Manscaped. But not a man, a Sasquatch. From the Florida Everglades, let's welcome Skunk Ape to the show. Thanks for joining, Mr. Ape. Oh, Skunk is fine, just fine. That's uh, that's what my friends call me. Even though you're an elusive cryptid, you're able to have a social life? Oh, sure, sure. Wood booger, yeah, we mow, mow, wendigo, mow, galon, we all, we all hang out. Well, that's great. With all those friends, it's probably important to look your best. We take a lot of pride in how we look uh, in the Sasquatch community, especially uh, since, uh, as you can imagine, there ain't a whole heck of a lot of us out there, so it gets pretty darn competitive getting attention from the lady squatches. So the Lawnmower 3.0 from Manscaped has a durable, skin-safe ceramic blade when you groom your, uh, Watchy regions. Don't you know it? That lawnmower 3.0 holds an edge, so I'm less likely to nick my nugs. It's happened before, and it ain't pretty. There's blood everywhere. Everyone down in the glades heard me howl out that one time. Whoop whoop! That's what that's what it sounded like when I nicked my nugs. But not with this lawnmower 3.0. Dude, that's intense. I have certainly been there. It is no fun at all. Skunky, I imagine grooming down there probably takes a lot of time because you're a pretty big guy. Well, you know what they say about big feet. Big shoes? Big balls! Yep, right, sizable. Sasquasticles. Big old ones. But with them lithium-ion batteries I can charge that puppy up on the USB dock, I can use it for 90 minutes. It's even waterproof, so I can fire it up in the glades and take a good long time getting my squasticles right where they needs to be. Well, with that waterproof technology, that's got to be helpful in the glades. Or even for a human like me who uses the shower. Is the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 getting you noticed down there? Only in the right ways. All the lady squatches, or, or men, no, no judgment, they take notice. But I can still stay hidden, because with that quiet stroke technology, it does not make a lot of noise and attract unwanted look-a-loos. And that's a very important part of the squash code. You gotta stay undercover, you know? I can even groom up my squashticles in the middle of the night because it's got an LED light on it so you can see where your Patterson and Gimlin are. It's a memorable pair. And speaking of memorable pairs, you also like the Manscaped Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner. Well, you might have heard I have a bit of an odor issue, hence the nickname Skunky. And with the Florida humidity, uh, I can smell pretty darn ripe down there. So I use that Manscaped ball deodorant to, to make the squashicles smell fresh as a daisy and the ball toner to freshen up when skunk turns to funk. Maybe we should start calling you flowers instead of skunky. Well, skunky, 
If you or your Squatch Buddies or any listeners out there want to groom safely and who doesn't, head over to manscaped.com and enter code NIGHTMERICA for 20% off plus free shipping off your order. For one more time, that's... Squatchscaped. No, no, it's not. It's Manscaped. Manscaped. The right tools for the job. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. So ch- is it, should I dive into Go for my it. story? Let's hear I'm I'm really excited. I mainly did my story so I could hear your story. Okay. <laughs> Otherwise, we wouldn't have done this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, fair enough. Well, your story took place in 2016, was it? Yes. Right. So that's fairly recent. So this idea of the devil, uh, the devil made me do it is, is still happening. But let's go back to 1981, March 1981. I'm going to start with a quote. Quote, the courts have dealt with the existence of God. Now they're going to have to deal with the existence of the devil. And that's a quote given to the New York Times in March 1981. So Brookfield, Connecticut. Brookfield, Connecticut was a scenic southwestern town in the state, heavily Roman Catholic with a population of 13,000 people. And this pretty small town managed to reach its 193rd birthday in 1981 without a recorded homicide. Wow. Yeah, but that record was broken February 16th that year when Arnie Cheyenne Johnson, a 19-year-old tree surgeon, killed his friend Alan Bono, who was 40 years old. But... If you believe the Johnson family and his fiance and her family and his lawyer and famous paranormal investigators, Ed and Lorraine Warren, it was not Arnie Cheyenne Johnson that was responsible. It was the devil who was behind this murder. Hmm. And this became quite a big case reported in so many news media And actually, as reported by the Washington Post in 1981, Wanda Johnson was Arnie's sister. She was 15 at the time, and she explained the scene as such. So Alan Bono was an adventurous guy who had lived in Australia and Florida. He had some travels under his belt, and he told stories that captivated the young Arnie, who was known as Cheyenne to his friends. And his girlfriend slash fiance, Debbie Glatzer. Now, Debbie and Arnie would hang out. And actually, Debbie worked at the dog kennel and grooming salon that Bono managed. Mm. So on February 16th, they went out and Bono brought bought lunch for Arnie and Debbie, as well as 
little sister Wanda, Arnie's other little sister Janice, and their young cousin Mary. This was at the local bar, the the Mug and Munch. I don't know if it's still there. Sounds great. Visit that. The Mug and Munch. Bono was drinking red wine and telling corny jokes. That was sort of what he was apt to do. And Cheyenne, or Arnie, and Debbie had a little bit of wine, but it was mainly Bono's party. They go back to the kennels and Bono's apartment. He lived in the apartment above the kennel. And Arnie fixes Cheyenne's stereo. Okay. Kind of an, an, seems like a, a normal fun evening. Music was loud. The girls all go out for pizza. And Debbie felt a need to return pretty quickly. And they did. They returned around 6 p.m. And the energy seemed to kind of turn tense. It seemed like Bono had turned on the TV. Maybe that was loud. Maybe he was, I don't know. It seemed like there was just sort of a little bit more of aggression in the air. Debbie wanted to leave. But Bono grabbed young Wanda's arm. Now, Debbie got him to release his grip on the girl, but Arnie saw what had happened. And according to Wanda Johnson, quote, all of a sudden it just broke, unquote. Wanda heard Arnie growling like an animal. She saw something shiny flash in the air. And, well, what that ended up being was Arnie Cheyenne Johnson's five-inch pocket knife, which he drove into Bono's chest multiple times. Bono died about an hour later. In fact, one wound was so severe it went from the bottom of his stomach to the base of his heart. Mm. When it was done, Wanda said Arnie walked into the woods staring straight ahead. And that's where he was arrested about two miles away and he was indicted for first degree murder. Johnson had no prior criminal record. And Arnie's attorney, a man by the name of Martin Minella, who was a young guy of 33, Martin Minella planned to argue that Johnson had been possessed by a demon and was not responsible for the murder. And this was the first time that demonic possession had been advanced as a defense in the United States. It was the first the devil made me do it defense. And it was actually Martinella who told the New York Times that quote that I said above, the courts have dealt with the existence of God. Now they're going to have to deal with the existence of the devil. So this devil in Connecticut case or the Brookfield demon case, there's a couple names for it. This would attract international attention. It became like the stuff of news organizations television stations, supermarket tabloids, across the board, this drew attention. Understandably Mm -hmm. so. This was kind of a new thing. For sure. But the tale of Arnie Johnson's supposed possession actually began more than a year prior to this murder in July 1980. Actually, less than a year prior. July 1980, and the murder took place on February 81. And it began with Debbie, his girlfriend, Debbie Glatzel's little brother, David. So Judy Glatzel, the mother of Debbie and David, and Carl Jr., who is another character that will come into play later. Does he own Carl's Jr.? 
Mm, I don't think so. <laughs> but, you know, of course, that's what I thought, too. But, anyhow, Judy Glatzel invited Arnie to move into their new home, their rental home, because he had been dating Debbie. And around this time, David, who was 11 years old, said he was being visited by an awful beast. Quote, it was a man with big black eyes, a thin face with animal features and jagged teeth, pointed ears, horns, and hoofs. And this is from an interview that Judy, the mother, gave with People magazine at the time. Other accounts, David described the spirit as a little old man with burnt-looking skin and a plaid shirt torn at the elbow. Hmm. Now, Debbie said that David was not known for lying. He was a little kid. And he never even liked anything spooky, not even a scary comic book. So the Glatzel family, who were Catholic, came to believe that David had become possessed. He would, according to Judy, who spoke to the New York Times, he would kick, bite, spit, swear, terrible words. And she went on that he experienced strangling attempts by invisible hands, which he tried to pull from his neck, but powerful forces would resist. And then he would be flopped rapidly from head to toe like a rag doll. Hmm. And this is a horrible quote. He was also being forced to do these rapid fire sit-ups seemingly out of his own control oh and and his mother said and he can't even do a sit-up he's too fat <laughs> That's right so mean. there's a lot of there's a lot of body shaming when you go back to the early 80s and read these articles about this case because they keep bringing up how fat poor david was and it's just like ouch man That's like so calling mean. Calling a, this possibly possessed kid fat is like adding insult to demonic infestation. Honestly, how old is he? He was 11. Yeah, that's not cool. I mean, it's not cool at any age, but especially not cool for a parent to say that to their kid. Yeah. So anyhow. So the Glatzels summoned a priest from the St. Joseph's Catholic Church to bless their house. No apparent results. Reverend Francis E. Vergelac and three other priests were assigned to look into the case by Bishop Walter W. Curtis of the Diocese of Bridgeport. Now, the church, it should be noted, acknowledges that this did happen, that they did assign priests, but they later said the boy never approached a full and formal rite of exorcism. We'll get back to that in a minute, but... According to the New York Times, the family was then recommended by the church to make contact with Ed and Lorraine Warren. The church disputed this. Now, Ed and Lorraine Warren, they had been picking up attention as and some notoriety. Of course, they were involved with the Amityville haunt, Haunting in 1975, but they also hosted their own show. It was like, a, I believe, a cable access show. And... They would give lectures across the country. And Ed was a self-proclaimed demonologist and Lorraine was a clairvoyant. She claimed to be a clairvoyant. And conveniently, they just happen to live only 30 minutes away in Monroe, Connecticut. So they're basically like neighbors. Mm -hmm. 
That's that's very close. And in an interview to the Record Journal, a Connecticut newspaper in 2007, Lorraine Warren said, you can't even believe the things we witnessed in that home and to that boy who was 11 at the time. He came under hideous attack. She said he would levitate. She also told People Magazine, while Ed interviewed the boy, I saw a black misty form next to him, which told me we were dealing with something of a negative nature. Soon the child was complaining that invisible hands were choking him, much like Mother Judy said, and there were red marks on him. He said that he had the feeling of being hit. Over time, David began to miss classes. He also gained 60 pounds in the next oh, few months. Oh, and he was already so fat. <laughs> let's, I was, I'm, let's, not, I'm not, let's not add to the body no, shaming of poor David. I was only saying David. that because that's obviously what his mother is saying. I don't believe in body shaming. Okay. So, and he would growl, hiss, speak in strange noises, suddenly start reciting patches, passages from the Bible or from Milton's Paradise Lost. Mm. And every night, a family member had to remain wake, awake to monitor David, young David. Ed Warren said that David, when asked, gave him 43 names of demons inhabiting the boy and that's that's pretty standard operating procedure you want to get the name of the demon behind the possession or or haunting names are power so knowing the name allows you to exercise that entity but supposedly 43 names of demons mm -hmm. not maybe not the devil but a bunch of devils yeah. and ed warren said there were three lesser exorcisms said to have taken place with the priests present. And again, the church disputed part of that. Lorraine also told People Magazine, David made numerous references to murder and stabbings. We were sitting on a powder keg. Now remember how, how Bono ended up dying. Bono, not from you YouTube, too. but yeah. Diane's, Bono's Where still alive and well. No hey, hey, we're gonna get sued. <laughs> I don't wanna. I don't want Bono coming after us. Actually, I wouldn't mind if Bono popped in on the Nightmare Cup. That'd be great for publicity. <laughs> that would be great. I mean, think of the headlines we would get out of that Nightmare Cup podcast sued by Bono. <laughs> Anyhow, but really, Bono. They have their own YouTube podcast. Bono does? Uh, no, someone else does, and Bono guest starred on it. Really? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, we should we should maybe get those guys on it. All yeah. right, I'm gonna call my people see if we can get Bono. <laughs> Anyhow, so let's continue. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, so Lorraine said we were sitting on a powder keg, and she even said he could tell things that were going to happen in the future, such as this murder. That's what she in 2007 told the Record Journal. Now, in October 1980, again, before this February 81 murder, the Warrens did call the Brookfield police and predicted tragedy. John A. Anderson, who was the Brookfield chief of police at the time, said, went on record saying, quote, the, well, the Warrens called, said they were working with clergy in a house they claimed to be a demonic lair and that there was some potential, they thought, for a violent act. 
Now, during this time, Arnie Johnson, remember, he mm-hmm. moved in with the Glatzels. And according to the family, the Glatzel family, and to the Warrens, Arnie Cheyenne Johnson decided to challenge these entities that were supposedly possessing young David. And Warren told the New York Times he would actually say to these demons, come into me, leave the little lad alone. They've also read a quote saying that he would say, leave my little buddy alone. So Arnie Johnson appeared to be close to the Glatzel family, and he made this challenge repeatedly. David, meanwhile, was enrolled in a private school for disturbed children. And so the science part of everything, you know, just claimed that he had a mental illness. Arnie and Debbie ended up moving out. And Debbie said after they moved out, Arnie Cheyenne Johnson seemed changed. Now, Arnie Johnson had never been in trouble with the law. And before he did, before he dropped out of high school to help support his family, he played Little League baseball. He sang in the church choir. He won awards as a newspaper carrier. Okay, anytime people are accused of crimes, there's going to be someone that's going to step up and say they were a good person. But she also would say that her boyfriend and then fiance would go into a trance after he tried to thwart the possession of David. And then she told People Magazine he would growl and say he saw the beast. And later, he said he would have no memory of these trances. And for Debbie, it was just like what was happening to her little brother, David. Debbie also said that the day after the murder, her brother David, quote, had seen the beast go into Cheyenne's body, and it was the beast who had committed the crime. Now, the attorney Martin Manella took on this case, and boy, did he ever take on this case, because he traveled to England and he conferred with lawyers who had handled two possession defenses over there. It was new to us. This is the first time in the U.S., but there had been two cases in the U.K., fairly recent cases, too, comparatively. And he said he would fly in exorcism specialists from Europe to Mm. testify in this case. And he threatened to subpoena the priests involved if they did not come forward to testify. He said, quote, I'm going to show this guy isn't insane and that it's not a delusion. But that never happened. The priests said to have been involved in this case were reassigned by the time the trial was to begin to other parishes. And the church would not confirm its relationship with the Warrens. And the diocese did acknowledge that Father Virgilac and three priests from St. Joseph's worked to resolve the boy's affliction. However, the diocese also said one of the reasons a formal exorcism had not been authorized for David is that the family had not consented to the psychological tests the church considered necessary. Mm-hmm. Now, okay, let's look at that a little bit. Back in back during that time in 1981, there was a man named Nicholas V. Greco who was a spokesperson for the diocese. And he told the Washington Post, it's a delicate situation. In cases of this nature, you don't presume anything. 
through prayers and through observation, you make a decision. Lots of things we can explain through psychology, and yet we cannot explain everything rationally. What we're looking for is a balance. These things do exist, these things meaning demons and and possessions. These things do happen, but not that often. So he's saying that it was the Glatzel family that kind of stonewalled the church because they didn't agree to the full psychological workup. But Judy Glatzel, mother of David, said she had paid for a psychologist paid $75 an hour, which I imagine is quite a bit of money. Yeah, and back then. he, this psychologist, even now, wanted her to return with the whole family. Maybe not now as far as psychologists, but yeah. $75 for the hour. Said, wanted her to return with the entire family. And she said, look, it should be up to church officials to arrange this psychological testing if they want it. That will satisfy their requirements. But honestly... All of this ended up being a moot point for Arnie Cheyenne Johnson's case. Because when the trial began on October 28, 1981, in perfect timing, Halloween season trial with the devil made me do it defense. But the judge refused to allow Johnson's defense of innocent by demonic possession. Rather, the plea shifted to not guilty due to self-defense. Arnie Cheyenne Johnson was convicted on November 24th, 1981. It's a pretty short case. And I think the jury deliberated for three days, over 15 hours. They were not allowed to consider anything involving the demonic possession. So they had heard it, heard some of it, but they weren't allowed to Hmm. consider it. He was convicted of first-degree manslaughter. He was sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison, but he only served five. By 1983, so two years later, a TV movie was made based on the case. It was called The Demon Murder Case, actually, starring Kevin Bacon hey. as the as the Arnie-type character. They didn't share the names, but Arnie-type character, and Andy Griffith as the demonologist. Also, that year, you know who Andy Griffith is, right? No. Oh. Okay. Who is he? Have you ever heard of like Barney Fife, Sheriff Andy? No. Mm. You know who Ron Howard is, yes. right? So Ron and... Howard, the director. No, well, that's he... Henry Winkler. Oh. And that was Happy Days. <laughs> Ron Howard was eventually on Happy Days, but Henry Winkler, who was also on Happy Days, was the one that said, "Hey." Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's was, it's Happy Days. Was, I know what you mean. The Fonz. Yeah. Yeah, but before when he was a little kid. Ron Howard was also a child actor, and he was on a show called The Andy Griffith Show in Mayberry. You've heard of Mayberry, right? Okay. <laughs> Andy, Have you heard of Matlock? Yes. Okay. Andy Griffith also later played Matlock. Okay. This is not the... <laughs> this is not the Brits Pop Culture Blind Spot <laughs> podcast. We'll get to that. Anyhow... That's on the Patreon. <laughs> yeah. Andy Griffith played the demonologist. Also that year in 1983, remember only two years later, Gerald Brittle, with help from the Warrens, published the book called The Devil in Connecticut. And the Glatzel family received $2,000 in profits from the book. Seems kind of low to me, but I don't know what the actual profits were of the book. Meanwhile, Arnie Johnson and Debbie Glatzel got married. And interesting. To my knowledge... Now, this is where it takes some twists. Well, it's already been taking twists and turns. 
even even as far as the diocese and the Warrens, the Warrens said they were working with the diocese, but the church has a policy of not commenting on these things. So if it was true, if it wasn't true, they weren't going to say anything because exorcisms, especially during that time, were a very hush-hush kind of thing within the Catholic Church. So it's impossible to say who's telling the truth or not. If if the church did work with the Warrens, did request their help or not. Anyhow, so to my knowledge, David never spoke out about his case, the young David. But his brother Carl Glatzer Jr., Carl Jr., did. He said he recovered and that his brother David went on to own a construction business. He might co-own it with Carl Jr. But Carl Jr. said, and this started developing in 2007, said the Warrens, quote, saw a gold mine. And Glatzel, in an interview with the Record Journal, said that they were using the family. Now, again, the Warrens never accepted fees for conducting demonic investigations. They did lecture quite a bit, which is okay. I lecture quite yeah. a bit, not as much as the Warrens. And they would earn at that time upwards of $1,000 per lecture. And as I said, they hosted their local TV show, Ghost Hunting with Ed and Lorraine Warren. But Carl Jr. said that they manipulated his family. Mm. Now, Debbie Glatzel, sister of David, fiance, then wife of Arnie, said no. She did. It was reported, according to the New York Times, she had attended one of the Warrens' lectures before the murder case but that doesn't necessarily mean she was influenced i mean the warrens were becoming quite popular but carl jr said he and his brother so the book was published in 83 when carl jr was quite young and david was still quite young 13 at that point and the book was republished in october 2007 and carl glazer jr sued the warrens and author brittle because he said they invaded their privacy and didn't have permission mm. to tell his story. And Carl Jr. said he and his brother were shunned by friends and classmates and had trouble getting work later in life because of the notoriety of the case. And in a press release for his own book, I don't think the book actually ever came out, but Carl Jr. said, put simply, they robbed us of our childhood and our education, something we can never get back. And he viewed the suit against the Warrens as a matter of justice. But Debbie Glatzel and Arnie Johnson said Carl Jr. was just out for his own money. And for the Warrens' part, obviously they've both passed away. Lorraine Warren passed away last year, and Ed, I think, passed away r shortly before, maybe 2005, 2006, before this lawsuit came up. But, but this should have... The Warrens believe that this case really could have set this legal precedent for the legal acknowledgement of demonic possession. And Ed Warren really wanted to go in and show evidence, what he believed was evidence, that would have proven in a court of law that the devil exists. This was something they wholeheartedly believed in. And this 
I, so I think that kind of dealt a blow to Ed Warren in particular that he couldn't do that because they weren't able to to show that uh, that evidence in case. I actually did interview Judy Spera, who is the daughter of Ed and Lorraine Warren. Mm. And she knew Debbie Glatzel personally. And she said that at the time... She, so she remembers this devil in Connecticut case as being the one her parents spoke about the most. And she told me that she was home one day and the answering machine goes off. She even re- remembers distinctly she was feeding the cat. The answering machine went off. And she said Mrs. Glatzel was on the other side of the answering machine. Judy Glatzel, talking about something that had happened when she was bringing David back from religious ed, religious education, and that on the answer machine, Judy Glatzel said something about, there's something on the ice next door. And Judy Spera said, oh my God, I got to get out of here. She said she that never left her, just hearing that answering machine she tried to stay away from her parents case when she was a a young girl she was i believe in her late teens at this time maybe in her 20s and and she said that stayed in my mind that was like Mm. this firsthand thing where i could hear somebody panicking and upset about supernatural happenings Mm. and she remembers that it's such a bad case so i guess the question is sort of thinking about this wrapping all this up is did the devil make Arnie Johnson do it? I don't know. What do you think? Well, sometimes people just snap. Yeah. And commit commit violent acts. And we call it a crime of passion or whatever. These things do happen. And we don't associate the supernatural to these things. But... I guess the other side of it is that the devil, there's the expression that God works in mysterious ways and that miracles don't always have to be a big display of God's power, if you you believe in God. And I guess I mean the Judeo-Christian God. But why wouldn't the devil do the same thing? He doesn't have to be riding around on his fiery motorcycle. Yeah performing big acts of evil little acts little wicked things can go a long way and so did the devil do it make him do it almost like the death of bono of of alan bono not irish bono but the death of bono as violent and horrible as that is that's really only one part of the tragedy because yes. when you look at this, the Glitzel family started going to war with themselves over yeah. who was telling the truth or not and, and money and, and, and if you want to go down this road, the devil craves attention. And what did he get out of this case? Mm-hmm. Attention, acknowledgement, power, people talking about it. The, and the the death of one man is tragic, but then this case is in supermarkets yeah, and trickling to the uh, whole tabloids. family. 
and TV networks across the globe this attracted attention. So the, the there's the movie The Usual Suspects, and there's a quote from the character Verbal Kent who says that, you know, there's the old saying that the devil's greatest trick is is convincing the world he doesn't exist. But that character says, well, I believe the devil exists. And and then he goes on to say, and his name is Kaiser Sose, which is a whole other thing because it's a really great movie. But, but the idea of like the devil, I think if, if he does exist, would work in the way that would get him the most attention, the most bang for his buck. And that's what he would have gotten out of this. Yeah. And this is going to be the Conjuring 3 movie, right? Correct. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes. The, and so, yeah, this story will continue. So the Conjuring 3 movie has already been filmed, and it was supposed to be released this year. <laughs> However, <laughs> because, of, because of COVID, it's been bumped to June 2021, and it's... The Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It. And, of course, that's been a very successful film franchise, which has also spun off the Annabelle film franchise. But, so, I mean, even with that, it's worth pointing out that people do make money off of these stories. That, and I don't, and it's always this tricky thing of, does that mean it didn't happen? Or that, I don't know. And certainly the Warrens have a lot of critics and I have a lot of skepticism about some of their work, yeah. but, but I also find some of their work also compelling. They're, they're a, certainly an interesting couple and, and celebrities in that paranormal investigative realm, especially before there was a lot of those out there. Yeah. But yeah, so then it will be the new Conjuring movie. So do you have any take on it? I really don't know. I mean, I correct me if I'm wrong, but the Warrens were involved in the Amityville investigation. Correct and in 1975. The Amityville family. Um, oh my God! Why am I blanking on their last names right now? De, the DeFalco. No, the DeFeo family were those were the people that the that first died. yes. Yeah, so it was the Lutz family that were claim that claimed to be haunted by the violent demonic presence, yeah. and they that family squabbled after, didn't they? They did. Yeah. Yeah. So there and there was you know there's been a lot of different accounts out of that one as well. Yeah. So, but this going back to 1981, the first case of the devil made me do it defense, which wasn't even allowed to actually be defended in court. But, but with that said, yeah, it's, it is pretty fascinating. And, and there was a lot of great resources involved in this that you can, you can look up at the New York times, Washington post, people magazine, the record journal. I mean, this was, everybody wrote, Mm -hmm. was writing about this. So, but okay. Well, Let's now move on to some of our 
paranormal popcorn. Do you like devil's food cake? Oh, it is my most favorite cake. It's what I want for my birthday every year. Last year I had the milk bar devil's food cake. Chef's kiss. It's so good. All right. That's your sinful delight. It is my sinful delight. I love a devil's food cake. Well, good. I don't know why I asked you that, but I'm glad to know that. I really have no stance <laughs> on the devil's food cake. You're an ice cream person, aren't you? Not really. No. I like deviled egg. Deviled eggs. Legs. Love deviled eggs. I like deviled thing. eggs. I'm more of a pie guy as opposed mm. to a cake guy. So devil's food cake. Sure, why not? But what's your paranormal pop culture suggestion for the week? So this week I suggest everyone go watch One Bedroom on Netflix if you haven't yet. It's directed by David Marmore uh, and Naomi Grossman, who is in uh, Pepper and like the American Horror Story franchise is in it. Um, Yes. It's really dark. (laughs) It's really unsettling. Uh, It's about a girl who moves to LA and like what's going on in the undercurrent of the apartment complex she rents. I won't give any more away from that because it's so interesting and like was not what I expected going into it but it's got a really good ending um so go watch it if you haven't already it's a really good spooky season kind of watch awesome yeah well I'm going to be a little self-promotional but not entirely do it but the so well one thing I will say is I think you can just to tie this up, you can go to Paranormal Pop Culture and read the interview I did with Judy Sparrow, oh, Ed and Lorraine Warren's daughter. And we talk about Annabelle and some other things. But that's not my recommendation. I, I want to recommend a podcast called the uh, Bigfoot Collectors Club. These guys, I've been listening to them for a while. And they're not just Bigfoot. The the name, they're not just collecting Bigfoot. They're collecting stories about aliens, ghosts, everything. And they have a lot of... Celebrity guests, they're hosted by Michael McMillian, who was on True Blood, Mm. and Bryce Johnson, who was in Willow Creek, which is a Bigfoot horror movie. And But the podcast itself is just really entertaining. It's a very kind of fun, lighthearted, accessible look at the paranormal. And their 100th episode, especially, I happen to really enjoy. They had comedian Paul Shear on there talking about his own... Talking about his own paranormal experiences, but... Oh my God, I have to listen. But the self-serving part of this, and this is also why you should listen, is... So I've been working with the website Den of Geek Mm -hmm. to do the Paranormal Pop Culture Hour, where I bring on different hosts. I've had Amy Bruni from Ghost Hunter, or sorry, formerly of Ghost Hunters, currently of Kindred Spirits, and she now has a book coming out called Life with the Afterlife. And Jason Sorrell, a haunted mansion Imagineer. Well, these guys are going to be on the September 30th Paranormal Pop Culture Hour. And if you've missed it, that's okay because it continues to live on the Facebook and YouTube platforms for Den of Geek US. So I'm excited to have a chat with those guys. But even if you don't check that out, listen in to the Bigfoot Collectors Club and. Let me know what you what you think about it. Cool. I'm excited. I'm excited, too. I'm glad you're excited. It makes me excited that you're excited. <gasps> a lot of excitement to go around. I'm excited for these, even though these are longer episodes, I'm excited for these deep dives yeah, these is in 
good Halloweeny stuff. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people so. found us from the witches episode. So if you guys are new, welcome. We're happy to have you here. Yeah. And we want to know, are you a good witch or are you a bad witch? Yeah. Or are you a sandwich? hey Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.